Robeson here. Thank you for joining me on this podcast where we talk about spirituality, the awakening process, mental health, and so much more. Join me weekly to get your weekly dose of spirituality and medicine. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I'm so excited you are here. I want to share a super personal story with you today. I want to share my near-death life experience with you. And I don't even, like, I need to, like, back up this story and not even start with what happened because I think it's really important to lay the groundwork and sharing some of the backstory so you understand some of the decisions and how stressful this could have possibly have been. So... And I'm smiling and kind of have a little giggle in my in my in my speech as I'm saying this because there's so much to this story. It's it's one insane, and then two. I want to just share anybody that is out there listening to this. If you have a gut feeling about something, trust your gut feeling and be your best advocate. Because if you are not your best advocate, you will most likely end up in a very bad situation that could possibly not go right at all. And I'm not saying that you could possibly die, but you could depending on whatever the situation is. So it's really important if your gut is telling you something, if your intuition is telling you something, listen to that and be your biggest advocate because it could change your life, protect your life or protect other people's lives. And it's so crucial and it's so important to listen and follow your intuition because your intuition is trying to tell you something. So before we jump into my near-death life experience, let me lay the foundation of the backstory. Let me let me share the backstory with you. So my husband and I wanted to get pregnant. We've been trying for four years. And finally, I got really serious about it. And this is just me being really open and honest because if any of you have ever experienced trying to have a baby and it's been difficult and challenging, it's a very small percentage of a chance that you can actually get pregnant. You have like a very, very small chance of getting pregnant. It's actually quite a difficult task for some people. And for us, it was a very difficult task. Well, I finally got serious, asked the master teachers and loved ones in, the, in my Akashic records, um, what I can do, how I can go about doing it. And they gave me a very specific protocol. The protocol was don't travel, um, that I needed to clear my calendar. And so at the end of the year, I said, I'm only going to do two trips. Those two trips were in January and February. And then um, actually there were three trips. Um, I had took a vacation with my husband too. So um, I had uh, two work trips and then my vacation with my husband. And then after those those trips, I was not going to travel anywhere for the entire rest of the year. So I made that decision, um, did some other things for my health to prepare my body in order to get pregnant. And um, I said no to things that would prevent me from getting pregnant. I actually had someone invite me to this really cool retreat and I told the person that I couldn't go because I'm going to get pregnant. And this person laughed at me like, 
laughed in, in like a like a humorous way and and I was like no I'm serious like if I say yes to this I will not get pregnant and so I said no and um just made some other decisions and I got pregnant so I was so excited I like didn't have any more travel got pregnant and I was so excited and so was my husband so this was during COVID. So I just want to paint that picture because there's all sorts of different rules and sorts of different stresses that played a factor in this experience. And I'm a big believer that everything happens. And because everything happens, there's always divine reason and divine experiences and divine knowledge from those experiences, even if we don't understand it at that particular time. And it might even be like, but why? Why would that happen? It's cruel. It's mean. And so sometimes it's hard to even explain those reasons. But I understand from my experience in this near-death life experience, if I didn't have this awful experience that happened before I gave birth to my daughter, I would have died. And I know that in my heart. And so I'm very grateful for this experience. So first 10 weeks of my pregnancy was normal, early morning sickness nauseous, but I was in good spirits. I was pregnant. No big deal. After 10 weeks, awesome. I felt amazing. I was so excited. I felt like I was normal again. I didn't feel nauseous. I can move my body more. Um, I could eat and um, I was just really, really excited. So at 20 weeks, I had my major ultrasound and my husband at the time was not allowed to come to any of our ultrasound visits because of COVID. And so there was one hospital. I had like a choice of, I think, three hospitals to go and do my major ultrasound at because where we lived at the time was a small beach community and you had to drive over the hill to get to one of the major hospitals or I could go to another major hospital that was only like a 15 minute drive. And this major hospital um, wasn't my doctor's preferred choice because she hadn't really sent many people there. She normally refers them over the hill. But for this one, this particular hospital was allowing spouses or family members to be in the room with you. So, of course, I want to go to the hospital where my husband can have this experience. I can have this experience with him. We can have this experience together. And so we went to this hospital and the day that we went, my right side started hurting. And I didn't think much of it because it started hurting while I was at PT. And so I'm like, oh, no big deal. Like it must just be some of these exercises that we're focusing on. And so we went to the hospital, did the ultrasound. The ultrasound tech said everything was perfect. Everything was normal. And so great, no problem. We're, we're going to 
everything looks good, not a big deal. Next day, my side's still hurting. Next day, my side's still hurting. Friday, we leave to go on like a little um, baby mooncation. Even though it's halfway through our pregnancy, um, we decided we, we just, we were getting stir crazy because of lockdowns and things like that. And so we just wanted to go near the water and spend some time near the water. So we decided to drive up to Lake Tahoe. And while we were driving there at nighttime after my husband was done working, um, I was starting to have some severe pain. And I was like, what in the world is going on? I'm just really uncomfortable. And so we get there all night. I couldn't sleep. I was in excruciating pain. I called my sister in the morning and I just said, something's just not right. Like, I don't, I don't feel right. And since it was on the, my right side, which I think that's where your appendix is, um, my sister's like, you should just go rule out, make sure that you don't have an appendicitis or something like that. Like go to the hospital, just rule it out. And so you guys can just like finish your vacation. And so my husband was even sleeping at the time. So I was like, I'll just run down, go do a quick check and um, see, see what they have to say. Probably nothing major. They're probably just going to say like, um, who knows? Like, I don't even know. I was expecting them to just say, you're fine, go home, you're good. And so I went and a major mass showed up on the ultrasound. And the doctor was like, well, since you just had your ultrasound this week, your major ultrasound, we're going to compare the two. You either have um, twisted ovary, which is can be septic, so you, we have to operate immediately and untwist it. Otherwise, you and the baby could die, or um, or just the baby can die, or it's a fibroid. And if it's a fibroid, we do nothing, but we got to check the ultrasound. So I said, no, no problem. So they checked the ultrasound. Nothing was reported on that ultrasound. So. She's like, you have to have emergency surgery. We need to make sure that your ovary is not twisted. And if it's twisted, we need to untwist it. And while I'm waiting to have the surgery, the anesthesiologist comes in and is talking to me about my birth plan. And at the time, I had considered many different things. And some of the things that I was considering were based on COVID because I wanted us to have a normal experience. I wanted my husband to be next to me. I wanted to be able to have a doula if I wanted. And I was thinking about doing a home birth and this beautiful angel that got sent to me from the universe, from creation, from God was like, absolutely do not do that. He goes, you're about to have emergency surgery. You have no idea what the rest of your pregnancy is going to be like absolutely make sure you have your baby out of hospital. And at the time I was just said, yes, I will consider that. And at the time I was just like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I just need to get through this day. And he planted a seed and that seed was planted deeply for me to consider. And so we ended up wheeling, getting wheeled into the operating room. Didn't hit me that I was actually having surgery or to even say a prayer for my life or my baby's life until they had put the oxygen mask on me. And it, that is when 
it got really real. And so they did emergency surgery at 20 weeks. Now, this isn't even the near-death life experience. Surgery, when you're not pregnant, it's already scary. When you're pregnant, it's super scary. And so had the surgery, found out I had a tennis ball-sized fibroid. They could do nothing about. And the doctors there were amazing. Um, very grateful for the doctors. And unfortunately, they couldn't do anything about the fibroids. So they just stitched me back up and called it a day. And sent me home with a protocol and what have you. So because they did surgery and they had to do surgery to make sure my ovary wasn't twisted, it messed up my entire midline. So what I mean by that is um, they do scopes and when they do scope, um, I forget how to say the, the word, but endoscopic or something like that surgery. So they did three scopes, one in the center, uh, near my solar plex, and then down towards the belly button off to the sides, um, the right side and the left side. That center one on my solar plex, because I was pregnant, started stretching. And from 22 weeks on, I felt like my abdomen was being ripped apart. And because I felt this way, I couldn't walk, sit, or stand while I was pregnant. It was an excruciating pain while I was pregnant. So basically I was put on bed rest and in California, they won't put you on bed rest. They'll just tell you, Hey, you need to rest more. Don't move your body so much, but move your body as much as you possibly can. So it's like this fine line of, um, what you can do and what you can't do. And so because of this surgery, I kept having visions of bleeding out. I kept feeling the urge to not have my water break. I was very, very adamant. I didn't want my water to break, like irrational about it. Like, don't want my water to break. Don't want that experience. Um, I, every single week, I would message my doctor and tell her that I had a fear that I was going to bleed out and bleed to death and that I needed another ultrasound. And I begged my doctor over and over and I kept seeing visions in my records of lifetime after lifetime after lifetime after lifetime of either I bled out and I died or I bled out while giving birth to a baby and the baby died or both ways. And I kept seeing this over and over and over and over again. And I was very, very grateful that my body was smart enough to produce a fibroid because if I would have had the most beautiful, perfect pregnancy, I wouldn't have been aware of what happened next. And that is, I kept begging and begging and begging and begging my doctor 
to let me have another major ultrasound because where I lived, they didn't have the equipment. And I definitely wasn't going back to the hospital that um, didn't catch the fibroid to begin with. So she like finally agreed at 30 weeks that she would send me to go get another ultrasound. And so I went and when I, saw the ultrasound tech, he like leaves the room and he comes back in and he goes, hey, I need you to come back after lunch. And I go, I figured. And and he goes, yeah, we, we definitely need to see, you're gonna need to talk to the doctor. And I go, no problem. So come back after lunch and the doctor was like, I am so happy that you came in because what your doctor wrote up here is definitely not even what we're seeing today. Um, if you go into labor and your water breaks because of the way the cord inserted, which is VCI, the baby would bleed out and die. And so we can't have you going into labor where your, your, your water is going to break. And then also you have placenta previa. So your placenta is covering the cervix. And so if you go into labor, you have to bleed out. And so you need to come back and decide if we're gonna have a C-section at 35 weeks or at 37 weeks. And the reason why I said I was so grateful for the anesthesiologist at the hospital that I had my emergency surgery at is because if he wouldn't have planted that seed that going to the hospital, having a different experience, I probably wouldn't have been researching C-sections or researching the hospital experience the way that I had. So I was already mentally prepared to have a C-section. The other thing is, is I knew that something was wrong and that I wasn't going to take no for an answer. And my guides, my, my guardians of my records kept telling me to do certain things and to make sure that I was my biggest advocate for myself and for my baby, because otherwise it wasn't going to work out the way it was supposed to. And so the, the beautiful thing is, is we have these different spiritual tools at our fingertips. And this near-death life experience that I had was not from the emergency surgery. That was the gateway. That was the door that opened up the floodgates to releasing the memories and releasing the trauma that my cells, my soul was holding on to that was ready to release it and let it go and not relive those experiences again. And what I ended up doing is I ended up leaning into the records, uncovering these lifetimes, healing these lifetimes, reclaiming these fragments of my soul because they were so fragmented. Then I also leaned into my support system as well because this isn't something that I felt that I had to do alone. And I'm gonna underline that word had to do alone because 
I felt that it was beyond necessary for me to lean into community, to lean into my friends and my family, to support me in processing all of this so that one, I kept my stress level extremely down and two, that I felt loved and I was experiencing love. And so was my daughter at the same time. Um, because if something were to happen, I know that I did everything in my power that I could possibly do to make sure that she delivered safely. Because at the end of the day, I knew that no matter what happened, that that little girl was going to make it no matter what. And that was not an option in the matter. And so for, for me, near-death life experiences are invitations to heal trauma. They're invitations to change the path or change the direction, the trajectory that you are on or could possibly be on. And when we have these near-death life experiences, they can be very long and drawn out or they can be very short and fast. Like um, my husband fell off a cliff and he broke his neck. And that was a near-death life experience. Just had another family member of mine that had a near-death life experience and their life flashed before their eyes within seconds. And within 20 minutes, they were okay. So near-death life experiences don't have to look like the way that Hollywood Hollywoodizes them. Um, the main thing is, and the main point that I want to make here is that your cells hold memories and those memories want to be healed. That vibrational code that's within the cells want to be healed. And we have the opportunity to heal them in so many different ways. And you chose to have a human experience. And that human experience will work through some of those old wounds, old traumas. And it doesn't matter if they're from human lifetimes or different lifetimes, different beings, whatever it is. We have memories. And those memories can also be from this lifetime that your system is trying to work through and heal and sometimes we have to have a near-death life experience in order to release the trauma and to heal the trauma. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you can just go in there and start working on it. And because I've been doing this work for so many years, I knew that my body was trying to get my attention. I knew that my body was trying to severely get my attention and it was not going to let up. And I am so grateful for that tennis ball sized fibroid because I don't think I would have been so adamant or it wouldn't have opened the floodgates up and brought it to my attention in the, in the previous lives that I experienced to my attention without those experiences. And it is can be traumatizing to even think about those types of things or to even consider those types of things, but I'm, I'm telling you that when we have trauma, the only way to work through it is to go through it, meaning we have to unpack it, we have to unload it, we have to face it, and we have to release it. And 
whatever tools that you're guided to use, use those. For me, it's the records. Like I had to use those tools and all my other tools in my toolbox from crystals. Like, oh, I just laid with lipidolite all over my body because it just felt so good and so calming and so reassuring. I leaned into support systems that made me feel loved. I meditated, I journaled, I rested. I rest, I've never rested so much in my entire life to make sure my stress level was down and my pain level was down. And at the time I was teaching some courses and I had some one-on-one clients and I readjusted what that looked like. And I was grateful for my classes because they were a really beautiful outside distraction from what I was experiencing at that time. And um, and it was just so beautiful, like it really was. And now that uh, we're past that, you know, this happened in 2020. Now that we're past it, the further I move away from it, the more like I'm just, I, I was grateful then, I'm still grateful now. Um, but I can feel the whole experience not vibrating in my energy signature anymore the way it used to. Like it's it's so freeing to even just think about that we're here, we made it, we survived. It's awesome. If you've had someone that's had a near-death life experience or you've had a near-death life experience, know that life changes when these experiences happen, but we don't have to have these experiences in order to make change. Change can happen just by becoming acutely aware and curious around behaviors, actions, reactions, patterns, habits, and thoughts. And the more you get curious about those things, the more that you'll start asking specific questions around what's happening so that you can change or heal whatever it is that's coming up for you to heal. So... All right, my friends, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Have you had a near-death life experience? Let me know. I would love to know if you have and what it was. And I'm sending you a big gigantic hug. Please make sure you like and subscribe and share this with a friend. Bye.